0: Welcome back to what is hopefully becoming your favorite infotainment channel for all legal news. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. Today we're going to be talking about state and federal wiretap laws. Now when we talk about wiretapping, we get visions of spies and espionage and people Clipping little pins onto wires and listening into telephone conversations, or somebody bugging a hotel room. And the Wiretap Act does apply to those situations. Uh, but in my practice, more often what I see is person A wants to secretly record person B so that they can later use that information against them. So the issue is can you do this? Well, we're gonna answer that question and more in today's episode on Wiretap Law. Remember, if you enjoy the video, hit that like button. If you wanna know more information about the law, then subscribe to the channel. If you got something to say, comment below. And as always, share me on social media. Remember that I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. If you need legal advice specific to your legal situation, then you need to lawyer up with an attorney in your area. Now, when we're talking about the federal wiretap laws, we're talking about basically the combination of two acts. The first one is the Federal Wiretap Act from 1968. The second is the Electronic Communications Privacy Act from 1986. Together, these basically give us our federal law as two wiretaps. And essentially, and quite simply, these laws prohibit the electronic interception of protected communications without consent. Now that sounds pretty simple, but each one of those words carries independent legal meaning. So we need to examine each one so that we can fully understand the wiretap act now the first word is electronic so when we're talking about the interception of a communication it must be with either an electronic or a mechanical device this would include a phone or a video camera or a dictaphone or some type of a tape recorder that electronically intercepts the communication what this necessarily excludes is the concept of eavesdropping because if you can hear it with your ear You're not intercepting the communication with an electronic device. Now, that's kind of a funny word, eavesdropping. It comes from ye olde England, uh, where you had a roof. And at the edge of the roof, where the eave is, uh, that's where in the United States we have our gutters. Uh, But when they didn't have gutters, uh, at the edge of the roof, this was the eave where rain would drop off. Uh, And they used to say that the best place to listen in uh, at the next door neighbor cottage to see if they were plotting against you, uh, the best place to stand and listen into their plans was at the eavesdrop. And that's where that uh, word comes from. But the point being that if you are just hiding and listening or eavesdropping in on a communication, that's not prohibited by the Federal Wiretap Act because it's not an electronic interception of that communication. Now, the next word is interception, and the concept is that you are electronically intercepting the communication during its live transmission. Now, since the interception must take place during a live transmission, it excludes hacking or when you go in and retrieve the information after the fact. The Federal Wiretap Act doesn't apply if you are, say, getting into somebody's phone and listening to their voice messages uh, or looking at emails or text messages. Now, there's another act that does apply to that, but the Federal Wiretap Act includes only live interceptions of information. If you think about it in a football context, when a quarterback is trying to throw a pass to his receiver uh, and the defender intercepts it, uh, it's during the live pass. It's while the ball is in the air. The Federal Wiretap Act acts the same way. You have to intercept the communication while it's going on or live. If it's a communication that you dig out from something after the fact, Uh, That will fall under the Stored Communication Act, which we will talk about a little more later. So we've talked about electronic, and we've talked about interception. Now we move on to what is a protected communication, and there's three of these. The first of which is a communication by wire, and that's kind of an old-fashioned term for modern-day kids. Uh, These are the old landlines that we used to talk on that were a wired communication. Uh, Over time, this definition has gone on to expand to include cordless phones. These are the phones in your house that have no cords, even though they're still plugged into the wall. And then, of course, what everybody has today, cellular phone, which has no cords at all. And, of course, all of these are protected communications under the definition of a wire communication. The second type of protected communication are electronic communications. And this includes the transfer of writings, signs, symbols, shapes, or photographs, the kind of thing that we communicate uh, by email or text message. These types of electronic communications are covered under the Federal Wiretap Act. The third type of communication are oral communications or just in-person communication. However, when we're talking about an oral communication, in order for it to be protected under the Wiretap Act, you have to engage in that communication with a reasonable expectation of privacy. That's an additional requirement for oral communications. So if you're engaged in a conversation in the food court at the mall, uh, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy and that conversation can legally be recorded. However, if you are talking with somebody else, say at your home, in the living room or or in a bedroom, uh, you definitely would have a reasonable expectation of privacy and that type of a communication is protected under the wiretap act and last but not least we get to consent so remember here is the definition of the wiretap law it is the prohibition against the electronic interception of a protected communication without consent and when it comes to consent there are two different categories that this falls in Uh, it's called one party consent or two party consent and this is where state law differs Uh, Some states are a one-party consent state, meaning that only one party to the communication has to consent to it being recorded. Other states are called two-party consent states, and they should be called all-party consent states, because in two-party consent states, everybody involved in the conversation has to agree uh, that it can be recorded, or its recording would be in violation of that state's Wiretap Act. Now, the federal government is what they call a one-party consent jurisdiction. So federal law only requires the consent of one party. Now, let's talk a little bit more about what that means. So in a one-party consent state, only one party to the conversation has to give their consent to record it. And that can be a member of the conversation. So if you and I are having a conversation and I have a tape recorder in my pocket recording it, I am giving my consent. I am one party to the conversation. And even though you don't know about it, that recording is legal. This is the same scenario you see when people tape record one side of a telephone conversation. In a one party consent state, that is legal even if the person on the other end doesn't know they're being recorded. Now this is the law in 38 states, including the federal law. It's important to note what this does not include, and that's what I call leave behind recordings. So if you uh, leave a recorder somewhere, say you go into uh, a meeting, at your place of business and you have a tape recorder in there and you leave the tape recorder running after you leave so that you can record the conversations that happened in the room after you left. Now that conversation is protected because those people that are talking in the room, none of them gave their consent to be recorded. So unless you have at least one party to the conversation giving their consent, you can't do the leave behind recording even in a one-party consent state. Now, when you turn to a two-party consent state or an everybody-has-to-consent state, then everybody to the conversation has to give their consent or their agreement to be recorded, or it is an illegal recording in violation of that state's wiretap statute. That's the law in 13 states, including California, Florida, and Illinois. And the important thing to remember is on a telephone conversation, unless both parties are in a one party consent state, you can't record it. If you're talking to somebody in California, you can't secretly record it because the other end of the communication is in a two party consent state. So you have to have their consent if you're recording. And that's something to remember when you're thinking about recording a long distance telephone conversation. Now, there are some major exceptions in areas that are not covered by the federal or state wiretap act, and those include law enforcement officers acting in conjunction with a search warrant. If they've been given authorization by a judge to record something or to tap a phone, obviously that's exempted from federal wiretap law. Second, employers in the ordinary course of business can record conversations uh, without the consent of all of the parties. You've probably heard this conversation is being recorded uh, for training purposes. Well, those types of recordings are perfectly legal and not prohibited. The third area is recording public officers or public employees Uh, in public places. And where you see this most often is recording of politicians uh, giving speeches or, in today's society, the recording of police officers. Uh, These types of recordings are allowed. They're not prohibited by the Wiretap Act. So, you can record a police officer engaged in discharging his official duty. Now, you can't disobey a police officer, and if they're telling you to do something, you can't say, Well, I'm recording you, I'm entitled to do that. Uh, You can record them as long as you're not interfering with their carrying out of their official duties. Otherwise, it's perfectly legal and not in violation of the Wiretap Act to videotape, or to film a police officer. The fourth exception is for live television and radio broadcasts. People have been recording these forever. They're exempted from federal wiretap laws. And last but not least are these stored communications that I talked about earlier. Emails, text messages, voice messages, things that you haven't uh, listened to while there was a live transmission. If you retrieve this information after the live transmission, It is protected, not under the federal wiretap laws, but under the Stored Communications Act. And what the Stored Communications Act prohibits is intentionally accessing an electronic communications service without authorization. And I can tell you that this statute is very broad. It includes, of course, hacking into somebody else's account, but also even guessing the password or accessing an account even if it's not password protected at all, without the consent or the permission of that party. This includes emails, this includes voicemail, this includes looking at somebody else's text messages, or getting into their Facebook account, or Instagram, or Snapchat, or TikTok, or any app. If you don't have permission from that person to access it, it is in violation of the Stored Communications Act for you to do so. And permission is the key. And that seems pretty clear. But is it really? The situation becomes a lot more confusing when a person who formerly had permission, it gets into a situation where that permission may no longer be uh, valid. And I'll give you an example. These often arise in the domestic or the divorce context. And there's an actual case from Michigan. A man is sitting in his own home, at his own desk, in his own office. And he and his wife were having a fight, and he found her password to her email address sitting right there on the desk. So he pulls up her account and enters that password and reads emails between her and her lover actually proving the suspected affair. So he hits print, gets these emails, confronts her with them, and then a few weeks later he is, bam, charged with felony violation of the Stored Communications Act which seems shocking. He's in his own home. He's at his own desk. On that desk is the password. But the prosecutor said, no, you didn't have permission. Even though you had the password, you didn't have permission to access the account. And so that was a violation of the Stored Communications Act. This is an extreme example, but the idea is, hey, if you don't have permission, don't access it. And I've had this happen in real life. I had a client come into my office and tell me that he was able to hack into his ex-wife's or soon to be ex-wife's email account. Uh, She had changed her password, but he was able to figure it out. And he had printed off all of the communications between her and her lawyer. And he had them in an envelope and put them on my desk. Well, I shoved the envelope right back to him and I said, I don't want it. Not only is that unethical, but it's illegal. And you need to shred that information. But in the end, there were two lessons to be learned there. Number one, you can't hack somebody else's account. But number two, and this is especially true in a domestic situation where you may be going through a divorce, change your password because your spouse or your other significant other probably knows your password. And they probably know what you would traditionally change it to. So you need to change it up and you need it to be something that's going to be drastically different so they can't guess it and get into your private or protected communications. Now, there are penalties for violating all of these acts that we've talked about, both criminal and civil. On the criminal side, you could be charged with a felony and actually put in jail for violating the act. On the civil side, there are damages and attorney fees that can be awarded uh, if you violate any of these acts. There's also an evidentiary exclusion doctrine that says that if somebody gains information in violation of a wiretap act or a stored communications act, that the other side can object to it as it being not admissible. And the law prohibits a judge from accepting uh, information that has been illegally obtained into evidence in both criminal cases and in civil cases. And to illustrate this point, I'm going to share with you an interesting case. I didn't handle it, I just heard about it. And it was a divorce case uh, where the husband and wife were supposed to be working on their relationship. The wife had moved out and uh, got a house uh, in the city uh, and the husband suspected that she might not be uh, actually working on their marriage. This was back in the day when people had cordless phones and they could be recorded or uh, picked up by police scanners. So he got one and he sat outside of her residence and recorded a cordless telephone conversation between her and her lover. And he discovered during the course of the conversation that they plan to have a rendezvous in the backyard in the hot tub. Uh, So this guy goes and gets him a videotape recorder and actually climbs up on a nearby building and actually videotapes these two going at it in the backyard in the hot tub. So when they get to trial, he has two things he wants to admit. Number one is the telephone conversation he recorded that basically acknowledged that there was an affair going on. And then number two was the videotape of them having sex in the hot tub from the backyard. So of course the wife objects and she says, no, those recordings are in violation of federal wiretap law. I object to their admission in this case. Well, guess what the judge does? He excludes the recorded telephone conversation, stating that this was clearly a protected communication. Neither party had given consent to its recording, so it was excluded as a violation of wiretap laws. However, he said that the videotape, uh, the sex that was captured on it, was not a protected communication and it was not a violation of the wiretap laws, and so he admitted it into evidence. I think maybe the judge just wanted to watch the tape. But regardless, that's how that particular case worked out. Well, that's the episode on wiretap laws. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, hit that like button. If you've got a question, put it in the comments below. If you wanna learn more, hit that subscribe button. And as always, share me on social media. I'm Joshua Roberts. Thank you for watching. Lawyer up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this.